W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect perfectly, perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking peeps and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio, episode number 158. I haven't been really talking about the numbers of the episodes because I didn't think that was important, but maybe it's important to you. But this is episode number 158. If you haven't listened to episode number 157, I suggest you go back and listen to Andrew Skopik, The Importance of Holistic Home. Very good episode. That episode is getting a lot of good play and it goes over some things that you may not know. If you've never heard of feng shui, if you don't know what your pets are for, if you want to learn more about salt lamps, great show to go back and find out all of that info. But today's show, episode number 158, is with Amy B. Sher, and we talk about her book, This Is How I Save My Life. Now, in advance, I'm going to go ahead and apologize for the audio quality of this show. For those of you who do not know, I mainly do my interviews by Skype, but sometimes I have to do them by live phone because that's what the guest prefers. And I've been using a soft phone on my desktop. And for some reason, that soft phone has not had the best audio quality. And what I've been having to do, I've only done two episodes, this being the second one using that soft phone. What I'd have to do is I normally edit the shows myself, but I've had to send these shows off because they were a little bit beyond my audio scope and even having someone work on them that's a little bit better than me with auto engineering these shows have not been up to the par of quality that I would like but if you can get through this show then you're going to learn a lot if you can just stand the audio quality this show is one that I thoroughly enjoyed and this is probably out of all the shows that I've done, I would say that this show is in my top five shows. Amy talks a lot about her journey, how she became ill and how she helped herself out of illness. And we also talk about something that I think that everyone struggles with, and that is perfection. Trying to be perfect and just getting in that mode of having to be perfect all the time. And it just so happens that we talk about that and this show is all but perfect. But instead of scrapping this show and not really uh, putting it up, what I wanted to do was to not edit the show at all and just put it in all its imperfection because I think that that gives a really great tribute to the show and what Amy and I are trying to convey and some of the things that she went through on her journey to healing herself. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, it's with Amy B. Share, and this is how I save my life. Now, let's get into Amy's bio. Before getting into Amy's bio, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be promoting two products on my podcast. For years, people have been approaching me with products and nothing's just seemed to ring true to me, but I finally found two products that I think will help everyone. And that's what I was looking for. Just a product that I think would benefit everyone that's out there. Both of the products I've used, one product I've really been impressed with because just after five days, I could tell a big difference in 
my sleep. I never really had a problem falling asleep, but what I did have was a problem getting into deep sleep and also a problem I would wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't fall back asleep. But this particular product has helped me get into good deep sleep and just, I woke up really early one morning, like three o'clock in the morning. And normally with me, I have an issue going back to sleep, like I said, but I went right back to sleep. So I've been really impressed with this product. The other product is one that I've tried before and it also helps with sleep, but it helps with a lot of different conditions as well. So be on the lookout for those two products and I will mention them in episode 159. And if you're interested in them, what you can do is I will give you the web pages for them and you can go right to them and learn more about these products. So let's get into the bio as I promised. Amy Bichera is an author, energy therapist, and expert in mind-body healing. Her book, How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, has been endorsed by number one New York Times bestselling author and healing guru, Bernie Siegel, and Sanjeev Chopra, professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School. Amy uses energy therapy techniques to help those experiencing emotional and physical challenges to heal permanently and completely. After years of struggling with a life-threatening illness herself, she's discovered answers to the important question, why do some people heal from emotional and physical issues while others don't? After healing herself when doctors had given up all hope, Amy is now an internationally sought-after practitioner helping others achieve true healing. Here's what you're going to learn on episode number 158 with Amy B. Shearer on her book, This Is How I Save My Life. How being sick as a child might render a sick adult. Amy talks about her experience as a child and having all sorts of different things, sore throat, stomach aches, and how that might have been her gateway into chronic disease. When is the best time to take a medical risk? Some of us never know when to take a medical risk. Some of us never know when to fire our doctor. Amy talks about that and you'll get some of the end insight on what you should do if you're someone who's been spinning their wheels. What can the anticipation of healing do for you? Really insightful passage with Amy here. Pay attention because this is something that will enlighten you. Why is the messaging around illness important? If you don't know what I'm talking about, do please again pay close attention to this podcast. What is the downfall of perfection? I know a lot of us are perfectionists. I'm a recovering perfectionist myself and Amy and I talk about that on this podcast and there's a lot that you can learn from people who are recovering perfectionists and we also talk about the art of letting go and how that helps us. And the last thing is, why is it a good sometimes to have a reaction to something? Sometimes we have a reaction to medicine or it may be a food or something that we eat and we have a reaction to that. But sometimes that can be a good thing. So Amy goes over that in this podcast. So without further ado, let's get in to the interview. Amy Sher, welcome to Perfectly Health Intone Radio. How are you tonight? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks for being on. I've been trying to get you on my show for probably about two years now. And I finally I finally got you on for your new book and I'm actually reaching out to you for your old book, How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can and it's just so that I bumped into you in the time where you were writing the new book and that's the one that we're going to discuss tonight. Is this is how I saved my life. So I'm very honored to have you on the show because I think our paths are similar. While I know you went through a lot of things with illness 
because you discovered more things as you went along on your journey. And I think our journeys are a, a bit similar. I, I haven't had the illness and the things that you've gone through, but just reading through your book, I think there's a lot of universal lessons that I had to come into myself. And I also found out from reading your book that we are fellow Virgos. You were born in September. Oh, I was yeah. actually born. <laughs> I exactly. Well, that explains your persistence in in following up with me on the set for about the show, and I appreciate that because I was like, you popped up in my inbox, and I was like, yes, now I can do it, yay! So thank yeah. you for your kindness. And Virgo-like persistence in that because I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and even in the book, I could relate to some of the things that you were going through with organization and a lot of overthinking because I know as a Virgo, that's something, a trait of, that we do. And I know I've had my bouts with a lot of the stuff that you were uh, writing in your book. But one thing I do, Amy, is when I have someone, I usually ask them about how they got into health. And your book is kind of that whole synopsis of how you got into this journey. So kind of take us through what happened first. I know the book begins with you meeting someone in Hawaii and you went on your journey, but before that, if I'm not mistaken, you discovered that you had an illness while being in Mexico, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. So I basically started having severe symptoms, physical symptoms, when I was on a vacation in Mexico with um, my then boyfriend. And Prior to that, I had had some health problems, some nausea, fatigue, migraines, things that you know, weren't super alarmed for, a, for, you know, a young woman in their early 20s, but also, but also I felt was more than what my doctor suggested it was, which was, you know, probably nothing, maybe hormones, you know, just kind of life, life getting in the way a little bit. And it was not until Mexico when I started having severe problems in my legs. I started having terrible pain in my feet and legs. I started tripping. And basically, a lot of weakness and went back to doctors and sort of at that point, the disease had hit my nervous system and was really causing some some severe issues. And that disease, which was not diagnosed at the time, was Lyme disease. I was bitten by a tick somewhere, never knew that I was bitten and contracted the bacteria that, that gives you Lyme disease. But it took many, many years for me to be diagnosed correctly. But it all sort of started on this trip in Mexico where I had these just electrocuting pains in my legs. And that's when doctors knew something was wrong but didn't quite know what it was. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, were you ever sick as a child or just came in on your, I believe that you discovered that when you were 28, that the pain in the legs and all that stuff started happening. But were you ever particularly sick as a child or you were kind of well until you got into your 20s? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think you're the only one who's asked me that. And I think it's a really important thing. So I was sick as a child. I had always kind of had stomach aches and strep throat and some things that now looking back could have pointed toward my immune system not being amazing. And then in my teens and my high school, you know, more my high school years, I actually got Epstein-Barr virus and mono. I had tonsils taken out. I had a lot of severe menstrual issues, very, very heavy bleeding and some surgeries. So I do think, you know, looking back, I had some things that were creeping up and just sort of it felt like everything hit me at once. That 
probably my immune system was not great. I was bitten by the tick. I contracted Lyme disease, and then over the years, it sort of eroded my body. So you have this, and obviously from Mexico, somehow you get to Hawaii, and you meet someone who has, I believe, she had a stem cell transplant, and she was a paraplegic, I want to say. Correct. And reading a book, it just seems like it's such a, like you were divine timing, if I can use that expression, like you were in the right place at the right time. And then from that, she suggested that you go see this woman in India. Uh, I come from the pharmaceutical industry. I used to be a pharmaceutical representative. And I remember I always believed in doctors until my mom actually got sick. And I watched her go through all the things she had to go through with cancer and eventually depart the physical plane. But I remember how everything, it just shattered my beliefs when they they told me that they could do nothing more for my mom. But how do you stay in the U.S., the United States, and this is supposed to be the the greatest system in the world, and you decide to trek all the way to India to see a doctor who I think, she never worked on a case of Lyme disease. What what was going through your head at that point in time? Yeah, so basically, I imagine that I went through some of what you went through with your mom, which was that I tried all of treatments in the United States. I tried very high-dose antibiotic therapy. I tried something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which helped sort of push, push or kill the Lyme bacteria in your body, um, push it out or kill it. I, you, I mean, I tried so many different things and just nothing was working. Now, maybe some things helped a little bit, but I also ended up with problems and side effects from the drugs that I... And so it wasn't helping. And in some cases, some of these treatments made me worse. And I was treated for several years for several different diseases. But then once I was diagnosed, I was really treated for Lyme disease. And still, even knowing exactly what was causing all of those sort of mysterious symptoms, And treating for that disease wasn't enough. It just wasn't working. And so I was at a loss. And I grew up very much like, it sounds like you did, and really believed when you're sick, you go to the doctor and they fix you and they're the heroes. And this was the first time in my life where I was really crushed by the reality that that's not always how it works. And so when I heard about this doctor in India who was doing this sort of experimental radical stem cell treatment, I was really at a loss because I had no other options left in the United States. And so even though when I told my doctor, my Lyme disease specialist, that I wanted to go, he said, it could kill you, don't go, I went anyway because I had no other choices at the time. What I know part of our parents and, and their role in our lives is to kind of maybe be that rational part of us. Did your parents ever try to talk you out of this and say, hey, Amy, don't don't go over to India? You know, this, this might be something that you might not want to do. What was your parents' stance on that? My parents actually basically just said, if you're going, we're going too. They're amazing. And they just, I mean, I think they had watched me go through all of what I had. And I think they knew in their hearts too, that that there were no other options for me in the state. And not only that, I think they recognized through their own life experiences that sometimes the hope of a new treatment or the anticipation of healing can actually do wonders for you in terms of healing. So I've seen this like now I work with clients with experiencing illness and anxiety and emotional challenges. And I know just the feeling about the message you're given, whether you're going to get well or doctors are telling you you're not or 
the messaging and the energy around it is so important that I think that they recognized in me the need to have this hope that there was something else out there and these followers out Did you ever consciously ask for a curing or a healing at some point? I'm wondering if it got... Because I remember in the book you said that you asked your boyfriend, I believe his name was Jay at the time, to cut your legs off. And so to me, that, that was really asking consciously for a, a curing or a healing. But did you ever, did that ever cross your mind and say, hey, I really want to be, be well? To say it, just to, my, to say it to who? Just to yourself, to say, hey, just consciously ask yourself, hey, I'm really, I'm really wanting this curing or, or this healing. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I don't recall if I ever did that because I, at that point, thought it was believed in sort of a system of medicine or a system of of healing that felt so beyond me. Like, I don't know. I think I was mad at my body for being sick. I don't ever remember. And what you're explaining is exactly what I would do now. It's like, ask all my cells to help me like regenerate my body and to act to, to ask you know part of me to help me heal myself but I don't think at that point that was something that I would have ever been connected enough within myself to ask for you know I got that feeling as a reading because it seems like you were progressing like I remember just from reading a book like you got to India it seems like you weren't that impressed I remember uh, with your, is it physio, the physio, first physio session yeah. that you ever went through? And the doctor said, hey, you know what, Amy, you know, you can heal yourself. And it didn't seem like you believed in that at that point in time. No, I mean, this is only a belief that I, that I've gained through the experience of, I think, systematically seeing that nothing else would heal me. So this definitely wasn't a mindset that I had at the time. At the time, I thought I was bitten by a tick. It gave me a bacteria. It's all the tick's fault or the bacteria's fault. I'm sick. I need to get rid of this bacteria and and, re, and regenerate my organ muscles and glands that had been damaged. But there was no there was no great awareness at that point that I had really any definitive power in the in the situation which i i didn't realize until a lot later so i was frustrated with the doctor in india because i was thinking well if i can heal myself why the heck did i come all the way to india like if you think that people can heal themselves and i and now i recognize that what she was saying was you are a bigger part of your healing than you imagine and that i didn't grasp at the time yeah. There were several, I think, I call them universal lessons that I picked up from you in reading, you know, your book. The first one is really, and if, I, and if I can rewind back, is really that when there's a will, there's a way, because you had to pay $30,000 for this treatment. And I remember you saying, hey, I don't know where this money is going to come from, but it magically appeared. You were able to get that money to get yourself over to India. And the second thing was just something that, was that reoccurred to me as I read it. But I remember just reading three times where you mentioned perfection. And I remember my, my own bouts with wanting to be perfect all the time. It's something from my athletic background, and it's something that I kind of bestowed in myself when I was younger. And then the other thing was faith. Um, 
Can you talk about those things? Because it seems to me like you developed more faith as you went on. And it also seems to me like you began to shed that shell of wanting to be perfect all the time as you as you progress through your through your story. Yeah. So I was always sort of a perfectionist at heart and at some point and it was in India, what I realized was that to some extent it was killing me. And not only was it affecting my physical health, but it was just un it was just unsustainable. And in India I was pushed so far to the brink of my sanity because there was no hot water and there was no internet and it was like it was I mean it was living in a very very different world and being you know a privileged person in a world where you walk on the street and people have no arms and no legs and they're homeless and begging and the traffic is it's just unbelievable it's constantly noisy there and like I said there was no hot water in my hospital room oftentimes and I didn't like the Indian food and there was no, you know, there was no like real American food. I mean, I really was losing my mind. And it was during that process of sort of losing my mind that I cracked and just emotionally realized like there is no way I can hold myself together. I'm in a constant meltdown. And being forced to be imperfect really was the start of healing my perfection, my perfectionism, because it, it comes to a point where it's just not worth it anymore. It's just not worth trying to hold yourself together and be perfect. And, you know, our bodies tell us we can't do that. It, it doesn't work for us. I also got the feeling uh, while I was reading that in all of that madness that you were experiencing, that you were learning to let go of control. And I remember you, something in the book saying, I'm, you know, I'm learning to let go. And I think as human beings, we try to control a lot of things. And I think that in that particular moment from reading from you, I just got this feeling inside of me that you were just learning to let go and kind of go with the flow of everything that you were experiencing. Yes, exactly. Because again, there was nothing else I could do. It was like, I couldn't, even the medical system was so different there, the way that they, like their hygiene in terms of like giving an IV or doing things like that were, it was so different that I had to give up because I'm trying to control everything because otherwise everything was too upsetting. Like I could not, India was the place I needed to go so badly because it's the place where you just realize how little you're in control. You can't control the noise. You have to go with the flow. and um. Indians, uh, and I say this in my book, the doctor there told me that Indians work on something called ISP in terms of time, Indian stretchable time, because mm -hmm. nobody's ever on time. Everything that, <laughs> even though out on the streets, it seems like a fast, busy pace, everybody's really going like at their own pace, and it's quite relaxed, like the culture. And and from what I learned about how families like operate and how they prepare food, like everything's quite slow. And so, you know, sometimes the doctor would tell me I'll be there at three, and then at seven o'clock, you know, she would stroll in. But that's just and that 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 doesn't work well with my or didn't work well with my personality. So, you know, for the hours between three and seven, I would be really anxious and be waiting and feel like I can't go anywhere. And then after a while, I just kind of gave up on trying to control all of that. Um, so, and, and that helped. That helped. That helped me to see that it's like just not worth it. 
Yeah, I mean, you work with people in helping them with these things. These uh, I, I call them mystery illnesses. Or you, to me, you're kind of like that person that is the last resort. <laughs> when, yes. You, yeah. Always. Yes. Yeah, and how important are those things? Because it seems like those are recurring. I, I don't like to say lessons. I think that we're all on a path of, of, of what I would call self-discovery. But from your book, I got the feeling, and I've never had any major illnesses, but I know I've been tested on faith. I know I've been tested on being perfect and really letting go. How often do those things come up for people when you're working with them? Always. Always. And it's so funny because I do get clients where I'm the last resort. And 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 working on these emotional patterns was my last resort. After I got back from India, I did well for a while, and then I relapsed. And what I realized was that I hadn't addressed these emotional patterns that really, really cause stress on our bodies and affect our immune system, our nervous system, our digestive system. And so I get all these people that were just like me who addressed this as the last thing. And it and it's so ironic to me because it's the most affordable thing to address. I mean, I have books so that somebody could do it for the cost of a book. Um, and it's the thing that makes such a difference and has no side effects. So I'm not saying that people shouldn't get medical care. That's I mean, I'm definitely not saying that. But I'm saying to do this piece too in conjunction with if you're going to do medical work or, or, you know, acupuncture or whatever, whatever natural practitioners you're going to use, like this work is so important and so powerful that I think, um, and I think it often gets overlooked. So people come to me as a last resort and I've seen lots and lots of clients who've been sick for 20 years and in, you know, four or six sessions, we really turn around their health. And it's almost funny, like, to them, like, oh, my gosh, all it took was this? I've been, you know, taking these medications and going to the chiropractor five times a week and doing this, this, and this, and it's just kind of, you know, it's just it's too bad that we don't look inside first or at least at the same time as we're looking for that miracle fix from a doctor. Yeah, it always seems to be something simple that we've over, but we've done all the intricate stuff, and it comes back to the simplicity of just working within ourselves. One thing I wanted to ask you was um, something that I've experienced myself and experienced with people who come to ask me questions on nutrition and stuff. And I remember uh, in the book you were, you were stating that you had gotten the stem cells. I don't know if this was your first injection or second injection, and you had this severe reaction. And the doctor at that time says, good, this is good. This is a good thing. It means your immune system is waking up. And I think with people, when they tend to get that, thing that you experience where it's something just gets grabs a hold of them. They think that it's a bad thing and sometimes it's a thing where it's actually waking them up so everything is coming to the surface. But talk about that situation and how you kind of adapted to that because for anybody else to probably throw them off when they have that type of reaction. But for me, it seems like, and again, when I read, I always can get into whatever I'm reading, and it always seems like you were, again, at some type of turning point. You hadn't turned yet, but you were, I, I kind of felt like you were getting to that turning point. You're such an intuitive reader. I love that. I love, everything you said is true that you picked up that was sort of in between the lines or not not spoken at all, not, not written at all. I love that. 
So, yeah, I mean, I had a really, really tough reaction to one of the high-dose um, infusions of stem cells. And, 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 and here being in, you know, a foreign country, experimental treatment, this is not an approved treatment, in, you know, in the U.S., the doctor had never treated anybody with Lyme disease. I mean, for me, I was like, well, I guess I could be dying. I mean, I don't know. I could be dying. But also, I had had the experience before that when your body and your immune system starts to wake up, you can have physical symptoms that seem bad but are actually a good sign. So, I mean, that's true of even if you get the flu or a really bad cold, right? If you get a fever... It's not necessarily terrible. It's that your immune system is actually working. It's more dangerous to never get a cold than to get a cold a couple of times a year because of, because of your immune system. So, you know, I, and with Lyme disease, there are so many different times when doctors say it's a good sign when you don't feel good because the bacteria might be dying off or detoxing or whatever. So I was very used to that. And by that time, too, I had been sick for many years, um, and I had just learned to kind of roll with it and not, I mean, I won't say I didn't panic about everything, but I was a little, I had some history to know that it could possibly be a good thing and to write it out. And that's what I did. I really had no choice. And it did turn out, I believe, that was my immune system waking up and my nerves being repaired. You went to a lot of different doctors. <laughs> you went to the best yeah. medical clinics, and I can remember recalling one of your experiences, a doctor you called Dr. Downer. And um, I think everybody at some point experiences that that doctor who, to me, it didn't seem like she believed what you were saying. And it, it seems to me like she was trying to say, hey, Amy, you're crazy. Talk about that experience, and was that was that before going to India? I think it was before going to India, and was that a catalyst yeah. to say, hey, you know, let me try something different? Yeah, it, it was before I went to India, and this doctor basically said, I mean, I arrived to this, this clinic in a wheelchair, and this doctor basically said, you're fine. You're just out of shape. And here I had been, like, bedridden for for months and she was saying nothing's wrong with you and I think this is typical of what people with chronic illness go through and one of the things that I've really learned and that I talk to uh, with my clients about is that you know it doesn't matter if people don't believe us there doesn't need to be a fight about it if they don't then they're not the right person to help us and I know a lot of people struggle with their family not believing that that you know they're sick or that they're having physical symptoms or that it's not just in their head or whatever it is and they become so embroiled sort of in these these arguments and needing people to understand what they're going through and the fact is that some people just won't believe it or if they do they won't get it any i mean some people just some people will believe you but won't get it anyway well why can't you just take this and feel better or why is it so bad? Maybe you're not going to the right doctor, like not trusting you're making the right decisions for your own health care. And one of the best things that I've learned basically in life, but but really specific to chronic illness, is that not everybody has to get it. It doesn't matter. If somebody doesn't understand what I'm going through and doesn't want to or can't or whatever, I don't, it's not my job to make sure that they get it. 
And I think a lot of us probably in this day and age with all of these, you know, um, it, it, it can, we have a lot of conflict in our lives now with things that are going on politically and environmentally. And it's okay if somebody else doesn't get you, and it's okay if you just leave that alone. Like, you don't have to engage with that person or be friends with them if you don't want, but you also don't have to fight them to, to see your point of view. And that really, really helped me as I went along and experienced doctors that just didn't get me to just learn that I didn't have to prove anything to that doctor, that that just wasn't the right person for me to go to for help. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just can, I've had people who continue to go to the same person over and over again. I'm like, when are you going to get it? <laughs> you need to go right, to someone right. else. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there was one thing that really stuck out to me and it was a passage. I don't know if I'm going to quote it right. I probably won't. But it was something I think that was, uh, that is attributed to emotional health. And I wanted you to comment on it. You said in one passage of the book, you said something to the effect of, I never felt anything because I was too worried about what others, other people felt around me. Mm, yeah. Can you comment on that and how did that, how that affected you? Yeah. So I was always a person who was like the rock of my friends and family and really never showed or even allowed myself to identify with my own true emotions because I was always so worried about taking care of everybody else and their emotions. And going back to sort of that perfectionist personality, I think a lot of perfectionists are like that. We're sort of even-keeled, solid people, and maybe don't realize that we're not really like that inside, but we're we're sort of stifling who we really are, which is emotional human beings like everybody really is, right? So that was something that I realized must have been so, so hard on my body was to be that person who never felt her own feelings because I was much more worried about everybody else's feelings than I was about my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a point where... I'm reading a book and I'm like, she's like Neo. She's getting it. She's she's starting to believe. And that point was when you, I think you had a visit from Dr. Natalie, I want to say. Yeah. And she came in and she started you chanting. And I've chanted before. But that was the point I felt like you had really turned the corner. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but that passage in the book, when I started reading that passage, I'm like, she's turning the corner, she's turning the corner. And it seems like you started to have much of a greater emotional IQ. So comment on that and, and how that changed you for the better. Yeah, so so this doctor came and helped me learn how to chant. And the chanting wasn't in English. It wasn't anything that I necessarily, like on a conscious level, related to. But the doctor basically told me to chant and watch out for miracles. And that chanting would help sort of inspire my inner Buddhahood. So, like, it, like, helped me become enlightened and helped me help myself, basically help me be more compassionate toward myself. And she said, this practice would help create miracles in my life. And so I chanted, like she told me, she taught me. And I did start to turn a corner. And I think a lot of it was because I finally had a practice to get me out of my head. 
And I'm not a meditator. I don't like yoga. Everybody who reads the book will find out um, that I'm not a fan of yoga and that I don't like to meditate. And these are the typical practices that you hear people using to sort of get to these these higher states or get to a calmer place or a more centered place. And so this chanting was a way for me to do something to get in touch with myself and help me to sort of be more comfortable in a world that was really inconsistent and scary for me because I was in this foreign land and all these, you know, I was getting test results back that weren't great and things were making me anxious. And this chanting really grounded me. And I still use it to this day. Um, but that was a corner that did, that did help me turn a corner because it did something for me that sitting around and panicking didn't do. <laughs> and it helped. Mm-hmm. It just helped me give me that connection to myself. And now I know, I mean, having done, you know, emotional and energy work for so long, that chanting is actually a really good way to clear blockages. When you're using your own voice and you're saying something positive, whether it be in English Mm -hmm. or another language, it actually does help to clear old stuck energy from your body. So it it actually can be used as a healing technique. Yeah, you just reminded me of something I wanted to ask you about, too, and it was a yoga situation. And this is something that hit home for me personally because I know I would always force myself to do things that I didn't want to do. And I remember you being in that yoga class and you said, hey, I'm just not getting this pose. This is something I'm I'm just not comfortable in doing. And you never went back. And I think as human beings, we tend to force ourselves to do things that we don't enjoy and that it puts up a lot of resistance because we're thinking, that, hey, I need to do this, I need to do this, but why am I doing something I think I need to do if I don't enjoy it? And and, and most people, they never right. make that connection, but you made that connection. You're like, hey, I'm not, I don't enjoy this. Why am I actually doing it? And you went, you stuck with Channing, which is, which is good, but I think most people just tend to do things because they think they should do them versus doing things that, that are productive for them. Right. And we push ourselves, I mean, this goes into the sort of perfectionist, crash, mm-hmm. pressure myself. We really force ourselves to do things that don't feel good because we feel obligated to finish them. I mean, this goes, I used to like force my way through books. Like, how ridiculous is that to force yourself to read a book that you're not enjoying? Like, for what? You know what I mean? I had all these silly rules for myself. And the practice of yoga in India was something that I really wanted to try, but I hated yoga. I'm just not a yoga person. I've tried so many times. Um, and I was really intent at that time on loving yoga. And I did so many sessions. And then I just decided, you know what? This is my problem. This is part of my problem. This forcing, this insistence that I do things that don't make me happy and that I'm perfect in all of these ways that nobody else is even keeping track of. And I ditched out on yoga, and it was one of the best things I, I, I've i ever done, was just decide that I don't like something, and just because I don't like it, it's okay, that I don't do it. And I do that often now. If I'm not enjoying something, and there's not an absolute certain reason I have to be doing it, um, then I don't do it, because nobody's keeping track, and those are the things that make you either happy or miserable in life. And that pushing, that energy of pushing and forcing is not healing and not healthy. 
Yeah, it's actually a lot of resistance. You went through all of this, this treat, treatments and all these things, and then you had recurring symptoms. How did you not at that point just throw in the towel and say, you know what, the heck with this, I, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to be able to live with this. But it seems like you went an extra step and you started to learn about energy therapy and, and combine all these emotional modalities into your treatment and came out on the other end. But, again, how did you not just throw in the towel after going through all this, these stem cell treatments and, and, and finding out that, hey, I have these recurrent symptoms? Yeah. So after I got back from India, I did well for a while, and I was like, great, I got the cure, and now I can move on with my life. Um, and then I laughed. And, what, and I was disgusted. I mean, trust me, I wanted to throw in the towel, but you can't. You just can't because you go to bed, and then the next day you wake up, and your life's still there, and you, you've got to do something um, or make peace with it how it was. And I wasn't ready necessarily to, to just go, okay, well, I'm just – never going to be well. And that relapse was really, really heartbreaking for me, but it was also the best thing that happened because by that time, I was out of money. I was totally disgusted. I was out of options. But that is what helped me turn inward because I had no, I had nothing else to run to. Like now I had already, I had exhausted everything in the United States, but also now I had like exhausted the world because <laughs> I went <laughs> so yeah. where do you go? Where are you going to go from there? And from there, I could go nowhere but but be with myself. And that turned out to be the ultimate sort of permanent and complete healing was when I turned inward. And it was really the piece that even though I had learned some things in India and I had shifted some of my my behaviors, I really didn't didn't release you know, sub subconscious beliefs. I didn't really look at how trauma affects us. I didn't really look at, they didn't dig deep enough. It was sort of like, okay, I'll try yoga and I'll let go because I have to. But I don't think it was, I think it was semi-sincere, but I also think in some ways I was just checking off boxes or doing it because I had to. And I also didn't really realize the impact of of our beliefs and, and you know, trauma. And, and when I say trauma, I don't even mean terrible things happening, but just things that are still stuck in our body from from past experiences. And it wasn't until I started reading, you know, some, some of the mind-body-spirit authors that I really learned about how our emotions affect our energetic and physical body. And when I delved into that work, that's what that's what moved all Yeah. Throughout your journey, it's you lost your boyfriend, Jay. Uh, you lost your father. And, and to me, from reading uh, about your father, it seems like he provided you with that comfort, like he was a comic relief. Uh, how, how was your relationship? With it? It, it seems like it was a special relationship. And I remember reading in a book the letter that you wrote him. I think it was in his... Uh, the guest book or something to that effect. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, and it just seems like it was a very special relationship. How did that affect you? Did you have, you know, relapse of symptoms or anything, or at that point in time, were you over the hump, so to speak? Yeah. So my dad died right at the time that I was starting to get into the energy work. I hadn't started doing it professionally yet, but I had 
started. And thank goodness for the timing because, um, no, I didn't relapse. I did not relapse when he died, even though that was such a difficult time in my life because this time, for the first time in my life, I had all the tools of the energy work so that I didn't have the pattern that I did in the past, which was just keep it all inside and try to act like it's not happening. So I think in a way my dad helped me, even though he had passed, really, that was a big transformational time in my life because I had the tools to get through it. And it helped me see that I could get through really difficult times in my life and not relapse because when you're faced with chronic illness, there's always that fear that when you feel better, it's going to get bad again. And so for me, it helped me and my fears about, you know, about getting really, really sick again to, it helped me to see that with the right tools and when we take care of our mind, body, and spirit, that that doesn't have to happen, that we we can be safe even when things aren't perfect in our life. As I stated, I think earlier in the interview, you said that you broke up with Jay, who was your boyfriend, and he seemed to kind of help you through the first part of your illness. And then, and I, I also remember you saying that you, even though you were in that relationship, that you just couldn't be yourself. And you found you found someone in India, I think you went back to visit, you found someone in India who you could finally be yourself with. And I didn't see this coming, it just totally smacked me in the face. <laughs> it, it turned out to be a, a woman. And I'm like, yeah. oh, 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 okay. But it just seems like you genuinely fell in love with this person, with her spirit, and you could finally be yourself. Yeah. And, and Jay and I had broken up several years before I met her and we had been together for a long time but basically um, I could never even from the first day I just was always trying to impress him and he had such a personality where he was kind of a, a, a he I always thought he was cooler than me and just uh, he he just what we weren't a good fit for many reasons he was loving and kind but he could also be you know very difficult to be with. And so, you know, that looking back, that was another thing that, you know, I didn't pay attention to, that I just ignored and that my body, I think, really reacted to. And when I met Charlotte, it just, it just felt like I could be myself. I mean, I just I fell in love with her very quickly and I fell in love with finally being able to relax in a relationship because I felt so comfortable with her and because I felt so accepted by her and because she made me laugh and she made me not worry when I stood up for myself or said something, you know, talked about my opinion. And it was just so different than my previous relationship. But I remember feeling like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, this is right. And, yeah, and so that was a big a big twist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it just seemed like I didn't expect that. I'm at the end of the book, I'm like, Either did wow. I. <laughs> I was like, wow. It was like the biggest plot twist of, of all. But, um, right? yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm glad. It seems like when you're in a good relationship, it helps your health. And like you said, when you were with Jay, it just seemed like your your body kind of, you weren't paying attention to your body. Your body in some levels rejected him. So I was trying to tell you, hey, something's not right here, but it seems now that you're you're in the right place energetically 
with the person that you're with. Now, the last question I have for you, because I know that I'm not going to keep you more than 45 minutes, but it's a question of your illness. And I think sometimes we look at illness as a detriment, but it also can serve us. And I just wanted to ask you if has that if the the illness and everything that you went through accelerated your self discovery because it seems like you began knowing more about who you really are. Yeah, it definitely, definitely did. It's such a shame that you can't for the most part feel that during the process. Like when I work with clients now I always say like think, you know, I know this is getting them somewhere better and to to grow into who they really are. But it's like when you don't feel good, it just sucks. You don't care if it possibly will be worth it in the end. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. looking back, I would never change it. I would go through it all again to be where I am today. But that's not to be dismissive of how hard and miserable it can be during the process. So I hope by sharing my story, you know, it can give people just like even just like a little tiny idea that something great might be on the other side. I mean, I think I wouldn't have met my wife if none of that happened. I wouldn't have, my parents wouldn't have had the amazing experience of being in India. My mom's been back like eight times now. <laughs> she loves <laughs> it. Loved it. And she loves it. And I wouldn't get to be connected with so many people that I am now. But during the time, like it just seemed like I was probably just going to die. Like I couldn't have, possibly yeah. imagine any of this happening. But that's the amazing thing about life is that you cannot possibly imagine all of the good things to come. And part of going through the tough times is finding that faith that somehow, some way, even though you don't know it right now, it will be with it. Yeah, I always say illness is a blessing if you if you look for it. Amy, your book is This Is How I Saved My Life. I'm going to say it's available on Amazon. You sent me a free com- copy, which I really thank you for that. But uh, I'm going to say course. Amazon and all your, your book outlets, if you want to read Amy's book, do so. And I'm sure you have a website. If someone's out there listening and they want to work with you and they have chronic illness, what's your website? Sure. So they can either go to whichever one's easy to remember. How I Saved My Life dot com, and it's not saved; it's present tense saved because I think we're always saving our lives in a lot of ways. So www dot How I Saved My Life dot com, or my main website, which is Amy B Share www dot Amy B like boy S C H E R dot com. Amy, thank you for being on Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm going to badger you again to get you on for your other book. So <laughs> expect I'm going to be faster this time to say yes. So thank you so much. Thank you so uh, much for having me. It was totally delightful. Yeah, thank you. And I, I always keep at people because I know your your book was one of those books that I just, from the very first time I saw it, it's like this just, uh, it's really related to me and I was like hey I gotta have her on and that's why I was so persistent but thank you for being on I really enjoyed the interview I did too thanks so much Darren alright have a good night okay you too bye bye alright bye